You feel it, you know it. D Raw Productions. What's up, people? It's your boy D Raw coming to you with another episode of the Houston Sports Connoisseurs. Don't forget to seek, listen, and learn to be a sports connoisseur just like me, me, me. Your boy D Raw, the connoisseur. Today, I'm going to open up uh, with all the good news about the University of Houston Cougars. <laughs> to do a season review over how we got where we are now um some of the things that took place and what really just kind of ticked um you know the start of a new head coaching search and then how we got to willie fritz you know um so it's it's a lot of good things and and bad things in this you know uh at the beginning of the season, we opened up. We opened up in the Big Twelve, right? Uh, inaugural season. I think a lot of us was very, very happy. Uh, of course, you know you should be because we're in the Power Five conference now, and uh, we're here to compete and basically get back to the old ways of the University of Houston from the SWC. You know, um, a lot of people of nowadays who don't look at history or know history, Houston has usually always been a powerhouse back in the day um in football basketball track um you know we always been dominant and schools like ut and um you know those schools they always have tried to uh do whatever they could to knock down houston so they can remain at the top as a power um but back in the 80s 70s and 80s um, Houston would always wreck shop on those schools, you know, um, especially, you know, coming from where Houston is located, the campus lifestyle, all of the different little things that the city had to offer. Um, it, it always was a, a plus for anybody that wanted to come to Houston. So they had to get the hand up somehow. They had to leg up in oil money. And uh, that's what kind of swayed everything. And once they had the opportunity to leave Houston behind uh, when they ended the SWC, creating the Big 12 and um, leaving Houston behind and, and adding Baylor and things like that, all the political crap that happened to leave Houston out, it really, really hurt the University of Houston. But even then, at times, the University of Houston still shined for the next 27 to 30 years um, while in the Conference USA, an American conference and now finally in the Big 12 we're able to be able to be that power once again um knowing that we had Dana Hogerson who did help us get back to being a power five school and previously he also helped West Virginia become a power five school um now that goes to say congrats to Dana Hogerson on that you know I don't want to knock him while he's while he's down, but we're going to have to do a little knocking. Um, unfortunately, Dana knew we were going to a power five. He knew what the Big 12 had to offer 
Um, and he's been in the Big 12 as a coach before, recruiting around the Big 12 region. And he knew what the University of Houston would need to improve on, but he also knew what kind of players and talent he was going to need, what kind of coaches he would need to succeed at the University of Houston. And it really just irks my nerves that he kept using various excuses. Oh, we don't have the depth here. We don't have the depth there. Oh, we need this new football facility. Blah, 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 blah. You know, dude, this is Houston. This is the University of Houston. This is the same school that Art Browse was successful at. Kevin Sumlin was successful at. Tom Herman. Hell, Tony Levine, he recruited so many good players so Tom Herman could be successful when he was fired. You know, and Houston didn't have half the things they have now. So, to say all of this, I, it just goes to say that Dana Hogerson isn't that great of a coach. Duh. And when you have three losing seasons out of five and you're getting paid top money, you know, uh, especially at a group of five school, and then you go to the Big 12 and the Power 5, and you're still getting paid decent money even as a Power 5 coach with one of the highest buyouts ever, um, it goes to show you should be able to put on a decent program. You know, you should be able to show us a decent program each and every year and yet that was not true now granted he did have the successful years at america in the american conference where they won uh what 12 games and then eight games or something like that but even then we never won an american championship with him so um that was a disappointment but we did win the two bowl games but also while winning those those 12 games you also have to look at our opponents now you only can uh Compete who against who comes in front of you. You know, can't really choose your opponent. So he did well at that that year. But um, even when we played the the two good schools that we lost to that year, um, it really showed um, that we we needed a better coach. You know, and you wouldn't say that then because you, you're you're having a good win streak. But the schools that we lost to at the time that were decent, we lost to them. You know. And, and we should have been able to beat them because we had the talent level to do so. Um, now, you know, you look at the next season where we won eight games. It was a lot of toss-ups in that, in that season as well. Some mediocre play, some good play. More good than bad, which put us uh, above 500. Um, one year we beat Auburn, which was mediocre that year. I think they was like 6-6. Six and six. We beat them in the Liberty Bowl. Um, the next year uh, we played, I think, uh, L.A. Tech or somebody like that or Louisiana Raging Cajun, one of the two. Um, we beat them as well in a, um, a freeze bowl in Shreveport, whatever the case may be. But all that has got us to 4-8 and eight in the Big 12. Um, we also lost to the University of Rice um, early in the season. Three straight losses at the end of the year. And then uh, the Cougars... They finished two and seven in Big Twelve play, and um, with their wins coming, one in overtime against Baylor, and one on a last second forty nine yard touchdown against West Virginia on my father's birthday. It was a great game though. Uh, I was there, you know. Um, well, I wouldn't say great game because we really should have won by ten points or more, but um, it was very exciting to see the end of the game. And how Stephon Johnson uh, came away with that ball. But um, 
that's neither here nor there. Um, the Cougars owe Hogerson nearly $14.8 million in, in buyout money. And the good thing is that there is a mitigation clause with that. So if he gets another job, that can lower the amount. Um, but um, otherwise, they don't have to pay him the 14.8 outright. They can break it up and um, and pay him monthly, you know, because he's, he's, he's still just a regular employee at the end of the day. Um, but they can they can break him up like that and, and pay him out into his contract ends. Um, but the way I see it, hey, Tillman Fertitta, he's he's Mr. Big Bang Hank, man. Yeah, $14.8 million, uh, ain't nothing but pennies in the bank to him, especially with all the money that he makes every day. Go to Nuggets, restaurants, and Houston Rockets, and whatever, hoopla, you know. Uh, yeah, but anyways, moving on. Um, I did want to kind of talk about some of these losses that we took and just – you know, let you guys in on why the Houston Cougars fired Dana Hogerson as well. Um, starting off in the beginning of the season, one of the first losses we took after we struggled against uh, UTSA to get, get that victory, which was a good US, UTSA team. Um, so, respectively, we did beat them. Um, but then we, we went into week two and we played Rice. And Rice is a team that we should always beat. There's no excuse. Rice is an Ivy League kind of school. You know, it's like Houston playing Yale or, or or Harvard or something like that. But Houston lost the game. 43-41 in overtime. Uh, we was down 28-0 at the half in this game. You know, and, and it's, it's pretty ridiculous when we're, when we're talking about that. You know, against a Rice team. Now, granted, this Rice team was okay this year they did i think they went six and six so they they are going bowling but that's that's pretty pathetic man and, and then you let jt daniels come out here and cook you 28 for 42 401 yards three tds one interception in comparison to donovan smith who went 24 for 42 262 tds one interception in that game uh the rushing was a struggle. Sam Brown, he shined. Luke McCaffrey shined as well for Rice. Um, but, man, overall, in, against a team like Rice, you have to pick up this victory. Houston should have moved on to be 2-0. Oh. We just we weren't ready to play. Okay, that's on me. I, I, we weren't ready to play. Uh, we gave up four straight touchdowns. At that point. Uh, the next week, they faced off against TCU. And um, at that point... You know, I didn't really know what to expect, but I expected Houston to really bounce back. And in the first quarter of that game, um, it was it was 7-3. So it, it was still a good close game. It was our first Big 12 game at home. Um, and, and you only expect the, the best things out of a team, you know, especially when we're, we're hosting something this big at home for the first time. We had a good turnout at that game. And unfortunately, Houston did not hold on to anything but an L in that game. Uh, it went from 7-3 to 10-3, 13-3, It got competitive in the, in the second quarter. It, it You know, it was at, at a, a standpoint where Houston could have actually took control of this game. Yet, once again, the defense failed us again. And a lot of that just goes on the defensive coordinator and Doug Belk and uh, all of his assistants and everything. And you will see a continuous pattern in why Houston lost various games throughout the season. You know, so 
20 to 10, 20 to 13, 26 to 13, 29 to 13, 36 to 13 game. TCU wins. And all you notice is that in the second half, Houston just let them just explode for more and more points. Never made an adjustment on the offense or defense for that matter. And uh, just how they finished the second quarter, they finished the end of the game with an L. We started wearing down, man. We don't have the depth. We don't. Say why not? Well, we just we don't. You know, you, you look at that, and then um, we we took on Sam Houston, so we did get the victory there. But it's Sam Houston. Sam Houston was uh, just getting to FBS level football, so uh, expectedly we, we we beat them by what thirty one points or more. Um, so that's a good thing. But um, even then, you know, a, a school like that, you you expect better even from U of H to just to put up even more points than thirty. 38 you know we our offense man was the problem throughout the whole year uh we went into the next week and we took on texas tech for our first big 12 road game notice that most of these games are still in the state of texas so we haven't even truly took on a full road um disadvantage yet you know but we went to lubbock and uh we we faced a uh a fold that we really know well, you know, and we lost 49 to 28. And um, in this game, Donovan Smith actually played pretty damn good. 30 for 41, 336 yards passing, four TDs. Parker Jenkins uh, showed out pretty good, 13 carries, 71 yards. I believe this is one of his first games where he actually got the opportunity to show what he could do as a true freshman at running back. Sam Brown, again, he had 10 receptions for 113 yards, one TD. Uh, and he continued to play positive throughout the year. Um, but when when we look at the game, man, you look at the first quarter, uh, it was 14-14. So teams was going back and forth by the end of the first quarter. Um, but by the end of the second quarter, it's 28-35. But, you know, it was two minutes left in the second quarter, and U of H – tied the game up 28-28 and they just couldn't play good enough Ben don't break defense at the end and in 44 seconds left in the second quarter it's 28 to 35 going into the half and here we go again third quarter is 28 to 42 fourth quarter 28 to 49 game Texas Tech wins the game and right there again you see what happened with the adjustments there was no adjustments, man. Texas Texas Tech made adjustments to stop Houston. Houston never made new adjustments to keep scoring or to stop Texas Tech for that matter. Uh, it's the second time we've got wore out in the second half. You know, it's Big 12 football. We've got seven more of them. You know, so you know, I, I don't I don't know what it is. Uh, we will assess it on Monday, and uh, you know, got to wait to figure it out. That was an issue throughout the season. At this point, we're five weeks into the season. We're halfway through the season almost. And you can kind of see that Houston has a reoccurring issue uh, each and every time. Um, by that time, we had uh, beat West Virginia with the uh, the Hail Mary. And so, um, we after that week, we took on UT. And I'll be honest, man. I was licking my chops at UT. I was like, man, uh, 
we gonna be I just had that in my mind and it might sound crazy um thinking that you know but I, I just believe that Houston had a chance against UT in which they really did losing a game 31 to 24 is not disappointing but losing the game uh because of the refs uh the zebras you know played a big role in that game especially in the end choosing rather to um give us the first down which we truly truly did get uh versus not uh giving us the first down and, and cheating us you know and then it was just a play call and, and that's where we go again it's like sometimes it's just a play call by the coach why would we go for a little rollout and try to throw the ball low to Matthew Golden at the end of the game, you know, to get the first down or, or somebody. He threw it to somebody. I just remember the rollout and uh, it hit the dirt, you know. And and right there and then, it just goes to show that Dana struggles with his play calling, you know. And not only that, he really just needed an offensive coordinator to be more successful uh, throughout this season. But, um... Believe it or not, Donovan Smith didn't play bad. He was 32 for 46, 378. He outplayed Quinn Ewers. Uh, Quinn Ewers did lead the game injured in, I believe, the third quarter or something like that. I can't remember. But um, he, he was outplaying him. You know, um, he was playing pretty solid. Um, some of the players were stepping up when needed to, especially on the de defensive side. But I will tell you this. Um, what lost Houston this game was just, you know, uh, crazy turnovers. It was two turnovers in that game, and that's really what lost Houston in this game. And if you think about it, if the Zebras didn't save UT for the first down, and if U, U of H didn't do a crazy play call on a fourth down, uh, trying to convert to get into the end zone so he can run the horns down play, which he ran against Baylor, but we'll get to that a little later. Um, that that's 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 how U of H lost this game as well, you know. Um, but believe it or not. Um, the Zebras helped UT get into the college football playoff because if they had lost to U of H, they would not be talking about college football playoff today and preparing to play uh, anybody in, in that in that playoff for sure. I can promise you that. We took the mighty Texas Longhorns and the number eight team in the country to the wire. I think the spot was horrible. I think we got the first down. It's first and nine on the nine. I don't understand review. Everything, every time, like, I think something's reviewable, I can't get them to review it. I don't know. So it's fourth and two, so it's not like we tucked our tails and, and didn't attempt to get the first down. Fourth and twos are hard to get. We got one earlier. Um, thought we had the right play call, just didn't execute the play. Moving on, um, U of H would then, after, and let me tell you this, after they laid it out there on the line against UT, which I – I said we was going to win the game, but I wasn't really sure, you know. I didn't expect U of H to play like that because I hadn't seen them play like that the previous, what, six weeks or whatever uh, prior to playing UT. So the way they played up to UT, if U of H would have played like that against everybody they had on a schedule, U of H would have won more games, man. They would have won more games, and, and I promise you that because – um, so far, I didn't told you about, about five or six games and out of those five or six games, Houston could have won like every loss they had, bro. They was right there. They was right, right there. But now this one, Kansas state, they wasn't right there. And, uh, I was highly disappointed because 
the way they faced Kansas State was nowhere near the way they faced UT. Um, taking on Kansas State, I expected that U of H would have a shot somewhere in this game. And you know what? In the first quarter, it was 7-0. At the end of the first quarter, it was 7-0. But then it's like Houston never had an answer. I don't know if they were shocked by how cold it was in Kansas or what the case may be. But, man, there's no way you allow Kansas State to beat you 41-0 because Houston never put nothing on the board. It was all Kansas State all the way down. You look at the statistic, they dominated Houston statistically um, in every way, shape, or form. Um, Houston just never had a chance in this game. And I'll be honest, it doesn't seem like uh, Dana Hogerson was ever going to give them a chance in this game because everything that was being run in this game was stupid. It was it was straight up stupid. Like, what a stupid you know, son of a Little short receiver screens. They ran that that play back to back to back to back. Kansas State was all over that man, and you already knew Kansas State was going to run to the left side. They got the uh, the good offensive guard uh, that was putting all the uh, all the linebackers and safeties and pussies in the dirt for U of H man. Like every play, it, it was really ridiculous, and it's hard to say that you would just go out there 41-0 and just leave a donut. That's just not the way you perform. And I had said a lot of things about this on uh, Facebook um, with the, the Cougs house group and all that. Some people can, you know, try to defend everything and say what they want to say, saying that um, they knew what they was getting into. They knew what they signed up for. Man, ain't nobody <gasps> signed up for no losing, man. Ain't nobody signed up for no losing. I don't care who you are. You ain't never signed up to be no damn loser. You know, straight up. Uh you always sign up to be a com competitive um, person. Yeah, at least I do. I ain't never signed up to, to take no L. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm doing everything I can to get the win, bro. Whatever I can. Um, anyways. Give up, Mr. Cruz. Go home. You know your task is impossible before Friday, right? The next loss we had took, um, this was, I believe, yeah, after the Baylor game, um, where in the Baylor game, we almost lost. And that game, it went into overtime. We won 25-24. Um, disappointing. We, we was up in that game um, by a touchdown. I think it was like a couple minutes left in that game. U of A still could not hold Baylor back, and they allowed Baylor to tie the game and then go into overtime. Baylor uh, bounced back, scored another touchdown, and over time to get up on U of H, U of H responded, and then they ran the horns down play where Donovan Smith ran it up the middle. Basically, you know, a QB run up the middle. Uh, Donovan Smith got in there. And from that point on, it seemed like the offense kind of changed. I don't know if they had a talk or whatever, but um, that's when Donovan Smith just started going rampant as far as running the ball. But it's stupid because early in the season, there was a lot of times where I would be like, Donovan, just run the ball, bro. Just run the ball. Like, you got all this time. You got all this space. Just run the ball. You're 6'5", 241 pounds. 6'5", 241 pounds. If I was 6'5", 241 pounds. Everybody out there in front of me, ass would be grass. Now, he is a quarterback, so therefore he needs to be healthy. He, he does need to make the smart reads, but if read one, read two, and maybe three sometime is not there, go ahead and run the ball, Donovan. Come on now. Common sense. Especially when you come from an offense where you ran a whole lot more often than you do in U of H, and you read your reads one, two, or three, and then you ran the ball a whole lot more. Now, the one problem he did have in Texas Tech was he was kind of turnover prone, but 
that all could be coached up and stopped. You know, um, I do believe that Hogerson probably did improve Donovan Smith as a quarterback a tad bit uh, this year, but I can definitely tell that he needs some more coaching. But in my uh, opinion, I will talk about that again a little later. I do believe Donovan Smith may not be the right fit. Anyways, uh, after the Baylor game, we took on Cincinnati. Um, at that point, we're like four or we're four and five. So we, we kind of have an outside shot um, to defeat Cincinnati. Um, but poorly, poorly planned uh, playing uh, set us up for a poor loss. 24-14 loss. And um, there we go. We're, we're sitting at four and six at this point in the season. And um, the way I see it, it's like, man, all we really needed was two wins. We, we, we needed two wins. You, you either beat Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, or UCF. And yeah. Yeah, Daniel. Yeah. Um 24-14 loss. Um yeah! what? I will say this. Donovan Smith, he ran for 88 yards in a game. 13 carries. He he uh he was poor on the throwing. He was he was 16 for 28, 102 yards, two TDs, and three interceptions. At that point, you kind of got a question. What are we really doing with Donovan Smith? Uh, you have an electric receiver in, in Joseph Mann, Jack IV, uh, who had four receptions, 22 yards receiving, which is poor, but he did show up for two TDs. Um, um, even then, with all that being said, man, we lost the game, and um, Cincinnati was the worst team in, in the Big 12 Conference. And um, this was a game that Houston should have definitely won. Also, I believe this was a game that they were favored in uh, before the game even kicked off, you know. So, yeah. Moving on into the, the next week, we did take on Oklahoma State. And um, with Oklahoma State, you know, Oklahoma State is a good team, man. I didn't really expect us to beat Oklahoma State. But who would have thought that we would have been up um, 23 to nine with four minutes in the second quarter you know who would have thought that but who would have thought in the next four minutes that it would be 19 to 23 going into the second half you know and once again i talk about second halves and then from there it went 26 to 23 33 to 23 36 to 23 43 to 30 um once again man houston did not make the right adjustments in the second half to put themselves in the right department of winning. They put themselves in the wrong department of losing. And Houston dropped this game, 43-30. Oklahoma State went ahead and uh, got the victory. Oh, by the way, Ollie Gordon, he ran for 25 carries, 164 yards, three TDs. And uh, Donovan Smith was the next rusher up for U of H. Uh, well, Donovan Smith plays for U of H. Ollie Gordon plays for Oklahoma State. Just so you're clear. Um, Donovan Smith, 13 carries, 63 yards on the TD. And as I, I go to uh, say, this is another game where once Donovan Smith gets his legs moving, he becomes a poor passer. 17 for 29, 235, one TD, two interceptions. So we was electing him 
you know, electing him to, to run the ball more. But then once he starts running more, he becomes a horrible reader as far as dropping back and throwing the ball. Um, and you look at that, and like I said, it gives me reasons to question Donovan Smith, you know? Uh, especially in the Big 12, just as you change conferences and stuff like that. Uh, Bunch fair is, is very slim, so that's something uh, I got I, I to gotta make a better throw or just get to my checkdowns, be better in my reads. Um, moving on into the last week where we completed this season at 4-8 and eight and we lost to UCF 27-13. In this game, we started out good, man. We, we started out with a touchdown, 7-0, and then UCF, they uh, scored a touchdown and missed the extra point, so we still have to lead 7-6. We went downfield at the end of the first quarter. It was 10-6. Still got a shot, you know. Second quarter, it's 10-13, UCF. Uh, and then the second half, here we go again, man. It goes from 10 to 20, 10 to 27, 13 to 27, and we lose the game. And, you know, it, it's crazy because um they had this talk about um if Houston could win this game, it was possible that they could still go into a bowl game, you know, because they were saying that it wasn't enough 6 and 6 teams. That would have made Houston a 5 and 17 get into a bowl game. But even though they would have went 5 and 7, the good thing is that Hogerson would have got Houston into a boat. And I just think that should have been the goal for the season. The goal wasn't to go four and eight. The goal was at least to go six and six. Uh, Houston should have been a team that was in a bowl. And uh, once again, this is another game that Houston could have won. And uh, if you just look at the Houston schedule. Um, you know, and it's just, it's hard to win. It's hard to win consistently. Um you know, in this league where it's hard ever. You can see some of the games that we could have won. You know, UCF, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati was definitely supposed to be a win. Um, UT, we could have won that game as well. That right there, man, that's four games right there for sure. And UT, it, it was a, supposed to be a win because we had the opportunity to win that game. You know, um, two turnovers killed us versus them not turning the ball over. Uh, at some points, our defense playing poor, but at some points, our defense playing good. Some play calling was questionable in that game, but yet, at the end of the day, you know, we got cheated by the Zebras, and um, we lost the game, but right there, man, that's four games Houston could have won, you know, and then the game with Texas Tech, just questionable as defense in the second half, we didn't do anything, so that's five games, bro, five games, and I won't even count the TCU game, but the Rice game, you supposed to be Rice, bro. You supposed to be Rice. And then the fact that we we uh took Rice all the way down to overtime, it was double overtime, and uh we we threw the ball to one of our receivers in the corner of the end zone, and he he really couldn't get his hands on it, so it was kind of like a drop, but it was also kind of batted down, and we lost the game forty three forty one to the Rice, bro. That's five wins right there, man. That I just pointed out off the schedule by looking at every game of the season. That's five wins. Houston, man, should have went nine and three. Nine and three, bro. Nine and three. And, and at worst, we should have won eight games. At worst. At worst. So, when you look back at this season, you see why Daniel Hogerson got fired. You see why everybody been calling his name. You see why the stands have been empty. Now, what are we getting in Willie Fritz? Congratulations, Willie Fritz. Go Cougs. Welcome to Houston.
happy to have you. Um, I'll be honest, mister, you were not my first choice. Oh my God, bro. Oh, hell no, man. What the fuck, man? Get your ass on, boy. My, you get your goddamn ass. As I looked at some of the options that we had for head coach, but um, looking at Willie Fritz's resume, Willie Fritz is a damn good coach. You know, I kind of just kind of looked at his more recent work, but overall, he has a good um, he has a good trail of work on him. Um, some of the other coaches I thought that would have been a great fit though would have been like uh, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher has always been a winner. He only has two losing seasons in his coaching career. Um, and when I say losing seasons, like two seasons where he actually missed a bowl game. Um, but besides that, um, at Texas A&M, he's always been 500 or better. At Florida State, he had one losing season. And besides that, they was all 10 win seasons for the most part or more. So when you want to talk about a successful coach, I think Jimbo Fish would have been that coach. Um, some people can say, um, what does he need a job for? He's already paid. Well, hell, all these coaches are paid and well off to me because I'm not making millions of dollars every a year or anything like that. So um, you're just talking to an average Joe over here, my guy, uh, at least for now in my lifetime. Um, but Sharon Moore, I think he was a great candidate, but he wasn't great for this Big 12 Houston team. If we was talking about Houston American Conference or maybe Conference USA and getting a coach to run more, he would have been a great fit. I would have, I think he would have been a fit that would have came and then used us as a stepping stone uh, in the past, you know. But I don't think he would have been a great fit for this Houston team being at the level we are now on a Power 5 level. You got to get somebody that was well-experienced. A good winning background and knew the Houston, Texas, and just Texas region overall that could recruit. And um, he wasn't going to be the guy. Um, you had JG Ken, uh, another great guy, you know, as well, young, up and coming. Will Stein, uh, another young, up and coming, or well, I think he's a coordinator for Oregon, a great offensive mind, possibly, you know, not sure. But Jeff Trailer, I think, would have been another good fit for us as well because he knows this Texas area. He's just, what, two and a half hours away at UTSA. Um, he has a pretty good um, winning history recently for UTSA, but he doesn't really have that long tenure that we was looking for of winning or just, you know, proving it all the way. And also, you kind of got to look at it this way. When him and Fritz played against uh, each other, Fritz was always the winner. So that that right there can also go to show that Fritz was the better coach because UTSA, yeah, they was at Conference USA level for a while and they just got to American, but they're not too far different, you know. And San Antonio is still an attractive place, especially because you're in Texas and you're the only major college in San Antonio. So you have something to offer. And and to be fairly honest, UTSA has been pretty good for the past three or four years. So uh, respect to Mr. Trailer. I like what he's doing out there. But I think we got our coach in Willie Fritz. You know, um, the only other coach that really came to mind was Gary Patterson. Um, these are guys that, are, you know, that are really available. Um, but Gary, I just think something don't sit right with me right now with Gary. Yes, he was a very successful coach at TCU. But uh, for some reason, you know, they did feel like it, it was time 
for for them to move on. They said that he had lost his magic, you know. So uh, another coach that a lot of people brought up was Cliff Kingsbury. Kingsbury was never successful really at Texas Tech, and um, them being a fellow school in the Big Twelve, I can most likely guarantee he was not going to be successful at the University of Houston. Uh, another coaches I had now one sought after coach that I would have thought would have been a great idea you know um, I know he was going to want a little bit more money than probably Fritz was offering for you know because he's probably getting paid about seven some million right now to sit on TV and, and make money but Urban Meyer would have been a great hire what? Urban Meyer would have been a great hire yeah! he's proven he's, he's uh, popular He's going to attract players. He's going to recruit well no matter where he goes. He has been all over this country recruiting, and he's been successful as a college coach. Now, did you hear? College coach. I didn't say pro. Professional um, Jaguar coach. Now, he was not, but college coach. He's been a great recruiter, um, and that that's someone that we should have really kept in mind, you know. But um, let's talk about Willie Fritz. Once again, congratulations, coach. Go Cougs. Um, Willie Fritz is from Shawnee Mission, Kansas. He's 63 years old. Um, he's been coaching since 1982. And he started as a assistant at Pittsburgh State, um, where he was actually a defensive back for um, multiple years from 78 to 81. And right after that, he kind of rolled into coaching. Um, he went from being a assistant to um at Pittsburgh State to you know been assistant at Shawnee Mission Northwest I believe the high school that he attended uh which was also um nicknamed the Cougars as well the Cougars so that's a sign isn't it and uh, if you listen to his um his press conference he he goes in about that how he just felt like he was destined to be here you know but from that place in uh, Kansas, he came to Sam Houston State, which is just north of the Houston uh, region uh, up there in uh, Huntsville, which you, you pretty much might as well say he's already in the Houston region. And uh, he, he coached there as well as he was assistant. And then he went to Willis High School and he was another assistant in Coffeeville back in uh, Kansas, I believe. And then they got him back to Sam Houston State where he coached there again. And then he went to Blinn and he was a head coach at Blinn. And uh, that's when the story really started because at Blinn, his winning record became reasonably true. Um, from 93 to 96, he went 6-3, and 9-2. 12 and 0 and 12 and 0, two undefeated seasons back to back where they won a national championship. That culminated to be a 39 and 5 record for him at the junior college level. In 1997, he was offered a position at Central Missouri where he went to Missouri and became a head Central Missouri and he became a head coach. Um at this point the first year was a little struggle where he went five and six. But after that, man, he started winning multiple games. Eight games, seven games, seven games, ten, ten, nine, seven. And then he had one down season where he went he won five games again. And then he went seven, seven, and eight. 
So you look at that, man, all that just combined to be 97 and 47. Um, he was number one in his uh, conference or whatever you want to say in 2003. Um, he was one of the top coaches that year. He won the mineral water uh, in 2001. So, like, he's won on every level, you know, at that point. He went from junior college to uh, a lower, you know, Division two college. And then he got to D1 in the Southland where he became the head coach of Sam Houston State where they brought him back. Now, unfortunately, he did not win at Sam Houston State, but they were successful as hell, man. 2010, he was six and five. Then he went 14 and one and 11 and four, nine and five. That all combined to be 40 and 15. Uh, in those three latter years, he went to the championship um, twice and then he lost that last year in the second round. But that's what you call good coaching. Coaching that gets you to be uh, at the winning level, you know. Even though he did not win it all, it just goes to show that he still put out some of the best teams uh, out there to compete, you know, not only in his conference, but in that level of SCS football. Um, he moved on to Georgia Southern, where he became the head coach there in the Sun Belt. And uh, his first year, they went 9-3, and three, man. It was first in a division or conference, and then 8-4 and four the next year, um, and they went to the GoDaddy Bowl. And at that point, they're 17 and 7 at just Georgia Southern in two years. And then he left for Tulane right before the bowl. And another thing I want to say, uh, well, we'll we'll get to it, but um, we'll I want to give respect where when respect is due to this man because he does something that a lot of these guys that we had at Houston don't do. But um, yeah. So then, um, when he got to Tulane, the first year he went four and eight. And then the next year he went five and seven. But mind you, you know, Tulane is, is one of those private schools. Uh, it's not like Rice, but it, it is a little harder to get into. Um, it, it's also in New Orleans, you know. New Orleans is, is a is a city that's not really um, the prettiest, you know. Not all areas are the prettiest. It's not one of the sought-after uh, markets everyone, everyone wants to stay in. But it's, it's still a, a doable uh, city. But anyways... Four and eight, five and seven, and in 2018 he went seven and six, seven and six in 2019, six and six in 2020. Uh, in those three years that I just uh, stated, from 2018 to 2020 he went to bowl games. Uh, he won the Cure Bowl in 2018. He won Orange Forces in 2019. He lost the Famous Potato Bowl in 2020. Uh, the next year in 2021 he did go two and ten. Um, that is a big L right there, but from 2 and 10, he, he made a huge bounce back. In 2022, he took Tulane to the Cotton Bowl, as we all know, and, he, and they defeated the uh, the famous USC team with their famous uh, quarterback, you know, ha, 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 um, that, that everybody's talking about. But at that point, you have to kind of give hats off to Willie Fritz because you turned the program around to be something dominant. And in 2023, this season that just passed, he went 11 and two, and now they're headed towards the military bowl. Um, he turned a team from being sorry to mediocre to being great, dominant behind him. And although he's not coaching in this uh, bowl game, 
where he finished at Tulane 54 and 47 above 500. Um, won three bowl games there and only lost one. He left for Houston prior to the bowl game. So what I wanted to say is that twice that he has left, he always left prior to the bowl game. He always played through the championship game if there was one to be played in. And I believe in both um, times that he was leaving a team, he left during or after the championship, you want to say. So what I wanted to say is it makes a big difference for the players, man. Because you're truly finishing the whole season with the team that you brought in and mentored. You know, those players are dedicated to you as a coach. You know, those players do whatever they can for you, you being a coach. Because sometimes players go to schools because of the coach. They're committed to the coach, not the school. And that's why you see a lot of players leave. Uh, to go to other schools once a coach leave or they follow that coach wherever they may go because that's who they're really committed to, not the school. You know, and that, that just makes a difference. But it also makes a difference because you have a coach here that really, truly respects his players and his players truly respect him and they'll play their heart out for him because no matter if he told them they were leaving uh, prior to the championship game uh, that they just had against SMU and, and they probably didn't play, you know, to their 110% because they, they had a lot on their mind because of that. You know, it, it can really justify some things for you as a coach, you know, and it, and it could affect your staff as well because their jobs are in jeopardy. So at that point, it's like, oh, what the hell? You know, some of them might be uh, coming on with him to Houston. Some of them might not, and they might be unemployed, you know, uh, knowing that the next coach is going to come in and, you know, you don't know if they're going to hold them uh, onto the staff or let them go. But uh, anyways, you know, that just makes a big difference, man, as a coach. And, and, and that's what I really like about him. Um, he's won on every level. You know, a lot of people can't say that. He's won from the beginning to to the uh, top. When I say beginning, I mean the bottom of the bottom of college football. And not even just that, but high school football. You know, he's really got it out the mud, as we like to say. He's really got it out the mud, man. And he's really proven. He's been coaching for over 30 years. And with all that being said, that makes Willie Fritz a really special kind of coach. You know, uh, he's won multiple, multiple accolades as he is deserved. Um, and I think I think this change is going to be great for for Houston because Fritz will do something for Houston that Dana has not done for Houston. And that's recruit the hell out of the Houston area for sure. We're going to recruit the heck out of the state of Texas. So, you know, some of the accolades that Willie Fritz have, I want to mention is this guy is, um, he has two back-to-back America Athletic uh, Conference Culture of the Years. Um, he's also um, ranked number five amongst um, victories uh, amongst all head coaches in the NCAA on the FBS level with 208 victories. Um, he has eight career 10-win seasons. And um, also, he spent 12 seasons in the state of Texas as a collegiate coach or assistant. 
He also has 19 weeks spent um, ranked inside the AP Top 25 during the 22-23 season, which is a damn good streak. Um, 23 wins since the start of the 22 season, which ranks fourth nationally. And 31 seasons as a head coach spanning the FBS, FCS, Division II, and JUCO. So we talk about all of that, man. This guy culminates into something great for the University of Houston. And the one thing that he's going to do the best, like I was just trying to say, is recruiting. And if you look at this um, at this school, this city of Houston um, that surrounds the University of Houston, and Houston sits in the heart of the school, you look at how the basketball team is successful, you can only imagine what the football team can do. Especially, yes, especially with all the new additions that's coming to the football program um, with the football only headquarters and things like that. It's really, it's really finna heat up. It's about to ramp up, but it should have already been there. And uh, I believe that Willie Fritz will be able to recruit like crazy in this area because it really just takes someone that can really connect with the players. You have the best recruiting bed in your backyard. I mean, number one in the nation right here in the city of Houston. Not only that, you have the whole state of Texas, which produces some of the best football players ever, ever, every year. And look at history ever. And not only that, you have Louisiana next door, which also produces some of the best football players ever. And you have the whole South. You have all these other schools, um, regions that you can also tap into as well in the Big 12 that allows you to go to Arizona, Colorado, Utah, um, all these new schools coming into the Big 12. And um, I just think, for us to only have eight commitments in this 2024 high school class, it's ridiculous. You know, that's one of the reasons why Dana Hogerson got fired. Because how can you be at the University of Houston and only have eight commits? And then when questioned about it, you say, that ship has sailed. Dude, you have until, what, February some point of this year. I mean, not of this year, but of next year to get kids committed to going to the University of Houston. You have so much time after the season, and I'm not going to say it's a lot of time, but it's enough time for you to be in a, a, a kid's face every day, you know, picking on him, asking him, why, why, what's this school have to offer that I don't have to offer, and offer him the better deal. University of Houston is number one, and you should make it number one in every student's mind at the high school level right now right now so that's what i believe willie fritz will b bring to the table go kooks let's go i like it and i know we will be playing at a higher level next season and speaking of that higher level let's get into this schedule that we have upcoming for the 2024 season and then let's talk about um, this new NCAA uh, NIL proposal on how it could affect the University of Houston, and then I'll wrap things up from there, people. So when we look at this schedule, um, 
The first game of the 2024 Houston football schedule is against UNLV. And UNLV usually brings a decent football team. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Uh, I believe they're coming out of the uh, Mountain West Conference. And uh, I don't really know what kind of team they expect, but I will tell you this. I don't care what kind of team come into Houston, Texas at the TDEUCU Stadium. Houston better dominate them, and that should be 1-0 right there. Week 1, Saturday, August 31st. You count that as a win, baby. Now, week 2, we play Oklahoma. We play at Oklahoma. Uh, this is going to be uh, Oklahoma in the SEC. Something totally different. I know they'll be licking their chops at Houston, expecting to easily dominate us. But I, I'll tell you this. I believe that Houston will return a lot of major players, but also get a lot of major players in this transfer portal, which is going to put us on top. Um, we look at this receiving core that we have with Man Jack and Golden and, and uh, Samuel Brown and Stephon Johnson. I don't know who's leaving and who who's staying, but... Uh, you know, as far as like graduating, but I believe that they're all young enough to be in the lineup for another season. And you look at how explosive our receivers are and where this, this offense could be. We look at Parker Jenkins with another year on his belt. Um, a freshman now turning to a sophomore that can put on some more weight, some more muscle and what other running backs we may get, you know. I think we're going to be amazing. I would say one thing that Houston needs to get is more speed um, in the running back department, but also in the receiving department. Uh, a couple deep deep threats would really help us uh, open up this offense. Um, and also, uh, just defense, 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 defense. Um, size on defense, size on the inside as far as the uh, the defensive tackles and things like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel that Willie Fritz is great at doing that because when I looked at that two-lane team, for a team that was in the American, they definitely looked like they was power five ready. And that's why they were so dominant because they had the size uh, from every position, you know, from running back to quarterback to receiver. D lineman, O lineman, Tulane was definitely filled in and filled out well. Um, and I believe that this Houston team is really finna get big and it's finna get fast. And um, I believe that we're gonna beat Oklahoma at Oklahoma, and that will make us two and zero. Rice, we will face Rice at home this year, and um, I would tell you this: um, if we don't beat Oklahoma and we're one and one at this point. This better be a win. Automatic win. We better defeat, blow out Rice. We need to clean up all that crap from last year because that was just embarrassing. And I'm going to take Houston right away. Um, Arizona. Arizona sometimes bring a good football team as well. But the last time I remember us playing Arizona, we defeated them in Arizona. And we will be playing at Arizona once again. Um, I really like Houston chances in this one. And I'm going to take the win. Now, BYU is, BYU is, man, playing at BYU is going to be tough for us because of the altitude, um, but I don't really care about all that, man. Uh, BYU always have our number for some reason. I mean, for them, the last three or four times we played BYU, they've been getting us, and I wouldn't be surprised if BYU somehow figured out a way to beat Houston in this game. You know, um, and, 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 this, and this stems from different coaching staffs. This isn't just um, Dana Hogerson or anything like that. This has been happening for quite a while. But um, 
that we're going to be playing them more often since we're in the same division or conference, you want to say now, um, we're going to have to step it up. And hopefully we can beat BYU, but I believe this is going to be a game that's going to close, come down close to to the, um, you know, the inches of the game, you know. Uh, Cincinnati. I believe we will go into Cincinnati. It'll be midseason. I think Houston will be in great shape, great form going into Cincinnati at that point. I think we get the win, but then we'll come back home to a solid, solid Utah team, and they'll be licking their chops at us to try to knock us off. Um, I don't know if we lose this game, but um, I, I would probably ride on the, the L side of the column and say that Utah somehow pulls off a win against Houston um, that, that day. And then we'll re-up and we'll go to, well, we'll be home again against Baylor. And um, I think Baylor will improve, or they'll have to improve, and I expect them to have a bounce-back season this year, especially after having a poor season um, um, last season or, you know, this recent season, however you want to put it. So um, I think it'll be a competitive game, but I like Houston chances in it. Um, Kansas State will be up next again at home. We'll have Kansas State at home this time, and we will be licking our chops at Kansas State. I promise you that because last year they beat us 41-0. Some of the returning student athletes for Kansas State will come in licking their chops at us, talking about last time, how they defeated us, and uh, I think this time we defeat them and and give them a good old-fashioned ass-whooping. But then... We face a team that we haven't seen in quite a while, and that's Iowa State. And um, I'm not sure what to expect out of Iowa State. You know, uh, this season, this past season that just, you know, recently happened, uh, Iowa State was very competitive. Um, They wasn't as good as they have been in the last couple years, but who's to say that they, you know, won't bounce back um, upcoming season, and I expect another bounce back out of them. I think Iowa State is one of those teams we got to kind of watch out for. Not sure if we, we win, but I like our chances because we're at home. Uh, and then we go to Kansas, and we play against Kansas in Kansas. And um, Kansas, man, they've been kind of electric. They're changing that program around. Uh, they're building it up to another level that it, it has not been at before. And I think Kansas will be a team that we're going to have to watch out for. It's going to be trying to put up points, but I really, really like our chances against them uh, just because I know we're going to bring in the right team to slow teams like Kansas down, and we're going to be dominant, and I like Houston to win that game as well. And then we'll take on TCU at TCU. Um, And, you know, us losing this year against TCU is is not a big deal. we, we made it competitive, you know, for a short amount of time. But I think TCU will be a whole lot better uh, this upcoming season. And believe it or not, I think that game against TCU will probably be the fight for the top team in the conference. Uh, I think TCU will be back right there. Yeah, I think it will be TCU, Utah, and Houston at the top. A lot of people might not believe that, but I feel that uh, we will be one of the teams that will be have to be well respected each year in and each year out because that's what Houston was um, trying to do in, in you know starting this year 
just you know get their feet wet and get to a bowl game and let people know. But moving forward, I think Houston is really, really finna take charge in this uh, Big 12 conference. Um, so, you know, before I talk about the NCAA um, proposal thing, I wanted to mention, I don't know if you guys heard, but um, they've been talking about um, the ACC dismantling itself and some of those teams coming to the Big 12. And they were saying that if Florida State leaves, you know, a lot of those teams are really going to just dismantle. Um, what what do you guys think about that? I, I would tell you, I think that uh, it, it's pretty crazy, but I've seen it coming. But it's even more crazy because you got teams like SMU and, um, you know, those other teams that just joined with Stanford and uh, da, 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 Cal or whatever that, that joined joined the ACC and now they're talking about dismantling but you know that's probably why Oregon State and uh, Oregon State and Washington State um, stay where they're, they're at as well in the pack too you know uh, because they kind of know that that's that a that conference in the ACC is not really stable and it's just going to put them at a point where they're going to be looking for another another home in no time. So um, I think that the ACC will dismantle. I really hope that the Big 12 can pull in some of those schools. Um, I don't know how everything would kind of break up, but I, I figured that I think half would go to the Big 10. Some would go to the, the Big 12 and probably some would go to the um, go to the SEC. Like I could see Clemson in the SEC, you know, and Florida State possibly. Um, some of those schools is going to make that move, but hopefully Houston and uh, and others can can come together to get some of those better schools out of the ACC and bring them down to the Big 12 so we can stay uh, at the top and, and stay elite because that's what really matters most. Um, also, you still got the Mountain West and all those schools out there. You know, it, it's pretty crazy on how uh, all these divisions are about to really split up. But all of that kind of goes right into what we're talking about. And we're talking about the NCAA proposing to allow schools to directly pay athletes through trust fund uh, with the NIL. And with that being said, it's just basically proposing a new FBS subdivision that would allow the highest resource schools to compensate athletes directly through a trust um, as well as the NIL. And this could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing because what it really does is it offers universities to really separate themselves from the other ones and when i say universities it means the larger universities that's really booster led you know and things like that alabama ut uh oklahoma uh usc you know ohio state it allows those schools to really buy players and separate themselves by far from the rest of the bunch, you know, and it allows them to try to be dominant each year in and year out. And what this basically reminds me of is it's, it almost sounds like the NFL. It's almost like, man, we might as well just draft high school players, you know, um, the, the top players in high school should be 
entered into a college draft and you draft them, then you pay them. But um, I know they were saying that like at minimum, the player should at least get like $30,000 per year per athlete. And this is also not only for men, but it's for women as well. And, you know, uh, they have to split up the funds and all this kind of crazy stuff. I don't know how all this is going to work, but I just think that it's really, really going to mess up what college is. College is supposed to be amateur sports. You know, it's not supposed to be for professionals. And I, and I feel like right now what's going on is really, really um, interrupting what college was, you know, made off of. It was made off of tradition and, and hard work. Now it's all about the Blue Bloods owning all the players, no matter whether it's football or basketball. And if you got enough cash to throw, you're going you gonna to get all the ass you can, you know. And, and, and that's how you're going to run your your conference and you're going to run your school throughout the next couple decades but also i want to say this as crazy as it may sound these these schools are already doing that you know these schools is already paying players and stuff and buying them cars and chains and whatnot you know it's just now they're just making it legal so everybody can do it and those who have the, the legal ability to do it and you have the money to do it, you're going to be able to just um, run the league. You know, you can have as, as much um, money you, you want, you know, going towards the, the athletes and, and you can pay them and, and put money in their pocket. They can go buy their mom a new car, a new house. And, and these athletes that just come out of high school and they complain about being broke. You know, now they got money in their pocket instantly. It makes me want to go back in, uh, into my my uh, younger days and, and, you know, maybe about 10 years ago from now and uh, uh, make some other decisions, man, because, man, if I can just get my hands on that kind of money right away, I'd be licking my chops, man, for real. Uh, the opportunity is really just there for these young athletes, man, to just go make money now. It's really pretty crazy, but I will say this. The one good thing about this um proposal i i do believe that it would stop players from transferring all the time you know because of nil because now at this point everybody's kind of just getting paid uh the same amount of money if they're joining this uh subdivision of football and those that aren't joining this subdivision of football that's outside of the sec big 10 acc or the big 12 um compared to the other leagues you know um it's going to be more stable in those leagues and, and it's going to really be a difference. So I guess what it does, it really just puts your eyes on the power five conferences and it, it allows, um, it also allows ESPN and CBS and all these other companies to really, really truly write their deals out, uh, with a much better nature of giving to their television rights, you know, Everything is going to be a lot smoother in those in those departments. But overall, man, I think it's a good idea. But I, I really wish that we could just go back to old college football, you know, where the players, the players don't get paid like that. You know, although they should have something in their pocket, you know, because they make so much money for these schools. But um, it, it is really hard to pick a side with that, bro. You know, uh, because people like Reggie Bush, uh, Johnny Manziel, they made so much money for those schools, but they got punished for taking, you know, 
the little the little coins that they could get and supporting themselves. So uh, uh, in other ways, you know, I, I would I would say that these student athletes really uh, deserve to have money in their pocket. I don't know if um, making a separation of conferences and stuff like that uh, and giving each student $30,000 a year is the way to go. Uh, but it, it really could be. But it'll also make it harder for student athletes. I would say that I could see people really, really competing at a much higher level to be a student athlete and get into one of those subdivisions that we, we talked about uh, with those conferences of SEC, Big 10, ACC, Big 12 um, to be part of that so they can truly get paid right out the gate. Like, man, that's going to be crazy. The Just the, the level of um, competitiveness it would bring out of these student athletes. But yet again, it's like, are they really going to be student athletes at this point or are they going to be professionals? Because now we're playing for money and we're playing for whatever NIL uh, offers or whatever. And then how does that really you know, work out as far as uh, name, image, and likeness and, and things like that. It, it's all different opportunities out there right now. And I think um, this 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 um, beginning of the, the of this, this 2020s decade of college football is very wild. And hopefully by the next time they realign, I think, or do their next TV deals, man, they have everything figured out because – it just doesn't make sense the way these players transfer. Um, like you got the, the quarterback at Ohio State transferring. You got the quarterback at Oklahoma transferring. The, the dude at, um, was it, is it Kansas State? He's transferring. It's like you guys are starting quarterbacks. Why are you transferring? You know what I'm saying? Aren't these the schools that you wanted to go to? And even if it's not, what is wrong with a little competition to keep your position? You know, especially if you're going to get paid, do you feel like, like, I guess I can see the guy at Ohio State, why he can, why he's kind of deciding to transfer. But at the same time, it's like, bro, you, you led a team to the top of college football this year. You know, yeah, y'all might not have made the playoff, but you're going to transfer from that. You're going to go somewhere else. The same thing with Dylan Gabriel. Like, what is the plan here, guys? Truly. What is the plan here, guys? Like, are you just transferring for the hell of it? Because you're getting playing time. You're getting your education. You got your scholarship. What are you really transferring for at this point? NIL. NIL. You know, but you're transferring from Oklahoma. You're transferring from Ohio State, Kansas State. You can't tell me that you're not getting a great deal there. You can't tell me you're not. So... Where are you going and why? If someone could, you know, give me the idea as to why these players are transferring the way they do now and just hopping in a portal and going wherever, let me know. You know, especially if they're having successful seasons and they're just going from one school to another. Is it just for the hell of it because I can just move around and, you know, freely at least one time? Uh, in my college career without sitting out like I used to or uh, they're really doing it to really help better themselves uh, and preparing to go to the NFL draft some way, somehow. Like, what is the benefit in that, you know? Um, well, people, besides that, that's all I really have. 
Um, thank you again for listening um, to another episode of the Houston Sports Connoisseurs. And your boy is out. We coming through, it's Paul Wall and I'm with the crew Red and white, we here to fight, spirit of cougars are on cue To the game, we keep it true, break them off, I thought you knew The whole squad about to be on the news, but breaking news ain't nothing new See, they can't handle this Houston heat, X and O's, X on the beat Cougar sign, it's game time, so rub the paws, we coming to eat Where's Shasta, that boy beast, where's Sasha, we about to feast Hold the line, they can't compete, sound the blaze, we playing for keeps Every day we grind a leap, whole team complete, it's time to work Draw the plan, then call the plays, we on the turf, about to bring the hurt. Top spot, we coming for first. Overtime.